Bible reading today is from Romans 14, 1 to 13. Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarrelling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to, to eat everything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord's able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever, who eat, whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies to ourselves alone. For we live, for if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the living, the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all stand before God's judgment seat. It's written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of you will give an account of, your, of ourselves. Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother, of a brother or sister. And that's the word of God. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to gather as your people around your word, and we pray that you would just speak uh, to us, and that we would have ears and hearts and minds to listen to what you have to say. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've discovered a major issue, guys, that we need to deal with as a church community. Like, it's, it's a really big deal. Uh, it's a very serious issue regarding one of our church staff. Uh, I didn't want to do this publicly, but I feel like um, you as the church family ought to know what's going on. Uh, as I said, it, it's serious. Uh, this particular staff member has been doing things that I find, well, evil. Just straight up, unadulterated evil. Uh, let me share some examples with you. Uh, he, and yes, it's a he, uh, listens to rap music and heavy metal all the time, like all the time. Um, and I mean, by rap music, I mean like 1990s gangster rap, you know, the ones where they talk about evading the police and getting into all kinds of hijinks and hanging out with their homies, doing scandalous stuff on their stoops, um, drinking gin and juice, right? It's, it's not good. It's not good. And, and don't even get me started on, on heavy metal, because that's the devil's music, isn't it? Like, it's factually proven that Satan himself started heavy metal on February 13th, 1970, which is when Black Sabbath's debut album was released. And that's only the beginning, guys. 
Uh, it got mentioned earlier that there's this scandalous, like, half-naked guy on, uh, on this calendar up here, and it's part of the 5 p.m. sermon series. Like, really, is it? Is it? Is that what that is? Uh, this, sta- this staff member likes to show up to work in lycra, uh, which, you know, is the same material used in spandex, that form-fitting, scandalous material. Where it- I just think it's inappropriate, guys. Like, it is. He does this because he fashions himself as a cyclist. He even admits to staying up all hours of the night watching the Tour de France when he could be spending his time reading Joel Osteen's classic, Your Best Life Now. Um, and hey, we all know that all those tour cyclists are dopers, right? I mean, what does this say about a, this staff member that he's so into the tour? I mean, what other stuff is he into? Uh, and the thing, here's the thing that really gets me, church family. Uh, I heard a rumor once that uh, in one election, he voted for the Greens. <laughs> I mean, it's bad enough to vote for labor or liberal, but the Greens, really? Is he even a Christian? Uh, I mean, the other day, I heard him talking about the environment, of all things. Uh, and I don't think he knows that there's somewhere in the Bible, I think it's in the book of Hesitations or something, where it says... <laughs> God doesn't care about coral reefs uh, because it's all going to be blown to bits one day anyway. Uh, And look, maybe you don't think (coughs) any of these things are a big deal, but but I do. And and I'm right because I'm an American and we never, ever, ever get anything wrong. Never. And so because, uh, because of these reasons and other things that may or may not be in the Bible somewhere, um, will you please join me in kicking Kieran out of, uh, out of the church? That would be really... Now, uh, I, I, I hope you know that I'm kidding. Uh, this is a joke. I am. Uh, Kieran is one of my favorite people in the world, and I'm serious when I say that. I have nothing against Kieran at all. He is my homie and my brother and my friend, and I love him. Uh, that was just a joke, just throwing that out there. Why do I mention this? Well, <clears throat> in Romans chapter 14, Paul's addressing a church where issues, like those sorts of issues that I raised, were a regular feature, uh, where there were believers in the early church who would look across the gathering at someone else who was there and think, how did that guy get in here? Doesn't this church community know what he does? Don't they know what he's into? How can, how can we let him belong to this church family? Don't they know he's probably not even a Christian? Really? Well, why was the church having these debates? Uh, and why was Paul feeling the need to address them? Well, if you've been following along in the book of Romans, in Romans 3, Paul starts to explain how the amazing, the amazing truth that Jesus has rescued all people, no matter who you are, where you've come from, what culture you belong to, um, you have a place at the table. You don't need to do or be anyone special, uh, but, to, but all who turn to Jesus will find deliverance in our made family. Then in Romans chapter 12, he tells his audience that there's, uh, there are real and tangible applications to that truth, especially within the church community. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9, He tells the church that because of Jesus, our love uh, for each other ought to be so authentic that we become deeply devoted to one another. It's the type of love that makes strangers into friends and friends into family. But when we come to Romans chapter 14, Paul feels compelled 
to speak about a specific obstacle that he is aware of um, that is keeping real, authentic, Christ-like love from happening um, within the church community. So what is this problem? Well, some church history for you. When the very first churches appeared, they were primarily made up of Jewish Christians. Um, You see this all throughout the book of Acts. You see people like Peter, people like Paul. They'll initially go, when they're out on mission, go into the Jewish synagogues and they preach about Jesus. And some of those people uh, will then come to believe and they start new gatherings together and to meet and encourage one another. And they then are sent out to tell others. Uh, And many of these Jewish Christians uh, continued to follow the Jewish law and do all the... the normal things that were part of Jewish culture. They continued to meet in Jewish synagogues. They continued to observe the Sabbath and other Jewish holidays. Uh, They continued to practice things like circumcision and the kosher food laws. But over time, as this gospel message spread and grew, more and more people obviously started following Jesus. People who were of different cultures, who had no knowledge of Jewish laws or culture, Uh, And as time passed, many of these churches became more culturally and ethnically diverse. Um, This resulted in lots of confusion, and in some cases, judgment and condescension. Sorry. Uh, The big question for these churches became: Well, how do we how do we all get along anyway? You You have Jewish Christians who are here, uh, who are still following Jewish practices, but then you have Greek. Christians who bring their Greek culture into the church, and Roman Christians who bring their Roman practices and norms, and Egyptian Christians, and and so on. And so the question was, well, whose understanding of of what it means to follow Jesus within this church community is the correct one? What, What should we be doing? And that's not a really easy question to answer. Paul addresses a few examples of this in Romans 14. Uh, primarily, he refers to the issue of eating, which makes me think, why would food ever be an issue in the church community, right? Like, food is awesome. We're about to have brunches and lunches later today, many of us. I'm excited about going to someone's house and eating food that they made for me. Like, how is that controversial at all? Unless it's like, I don't know, Vegemite or something. Um, anyway, <laughs> sorry, I've offended you. Kick me out. Um, but this particular issue, this, this issue around food, um, led some to, ver- to some very heated arguments uh, in the early church. Uh, because the Greco-Roman world was very influenced by uh, the worship that was going on around it of all these many gods and goddesses, um, this religious influence was part of everyday life, whether you attended uh, these temples or not. Um, if you were part of the Roman Empire, thousands upon thousands of people would go Uh, to visit the temple of Zeus or the cult of the emperor or gather on the sacred hill to worship Athena or whatever. And they did this because everyone back then believed that life wasn't random, that that God or the gods or goddesses controlled fate. And if you wanted something to go your way, you wanted your crops to grow, you wanted to have more children or whatever it was, uh, it was a common practice to bring an offering to the priests of that temple And he or she would sacrifice on your behalf to appease these gods. And because this happened so often, these temple priests essentially were the town butchers and green grocers. Like, that was their their secondary job. Uh, And after praying to the gods, um, 
over this offering that you brought to them. The priest, they would take part of the offering for themselves, a sort of payment for their services. And then they would, um, they would turn and sell the rest of it at, at the marketplace um, to raise money for themselves in the temple or whatever. And so almost all, all food back then, especially meat, had at some point been offered to these pagan gods or goddesses. So why was this a problem in the early church? Well, because one of the main things that the early church did when they gathered was to share a meal regularly. And you have Joe Bob over here turning up with his amazing baby back rib recipe, right? How amazing is that? Joe Bob, well done. But then Susie Q, who is also part of this church community, might be utterly repelled by those baby back ribs. Well, she might think, well, how could Joe Bob bring that? He brought it from Apollo's finest cuts in the stall, the marketplace stall, right? Just, and by doing so, he's basically worshiping and supporting some other god who isn't Jesus. And now that god's evil juices are going down the throats, now into the souls of these very followers of Jesus. And so Susie Q is equating Joe Bob's act of purchasing and eating this food as idolatry. And to her, idolatry and following Jesus don't go together. They're not compatible. If you're struggling to see how this still is a problem that Paul needs to address, think about it this way. Many Christians today will do similar things. Uh, like the satirical example of Kieran that I gave earlier. Um, you can see the same issue take place whenever someone in the church family says about someone else, how can they? Are they even... It could be about someone's political preferences. Uh, my wife, Shauna, attended a local church in the Midwestern U.S. Uh, the day after her brother's wedding. Um, it happened to be election season. And this church handed out cards that told people who they need to vote for. Uh, and somewhere on this little handout that she got, it said, You need to vote this way because this is the way that Jesus would want you to vote. <laughs> Which implies that if you voted for someone else... You aren't doing what Jesus wants. And so are you really a follower of Jesus if you vote some other way? We may do this by how we view uh, others and how others spend their money. Maybe you've heard about someone else in this church going on another holiday or doing more renovations on their house. And you thought, how can they spend money on stuff like that when there's so much need in this world? Shouldn't they give that money to the church or Operation Christmas Child or an international justice mission. Like, what? Isn't that just, just going over the top to take another vacation? I mean, really? Are they really even a believer? We might do this when we hear about someone um, sending about school, about our kids schooling, right? We think, well, one of us might think, well, how can someone send their kid to a private school and pay all that money? Isn't that a needless waste? We have pub- fine public schools, right? But someone else might think the opposite and look at someone and say, like, why would you, why would you do that? Like, why, why do you not value education enough that you're sending kids to the local public school? Doesn't scripture say that we should be wise and well-read and educated people and we should love God with all of our mind? Why would you do that? Anytime you look, you or I look at another brother or sister in Christ and think, how can they, or if I were them... Or are they even, we are doing something, Paul says, destroys a church community. And Paul here isn't talking about major theological issues. 
They're certainly non-negotiables when it comes to the core doctrines and beliefs of the church. Things like the divinity of Jesus, the Trinity, the resurrection, uh, death and resurrection of Jesus. Those, those things are not up for debate, um, according to Paul. Um, and elsewhere, the New Testament writers say that if those things are debatable to you, then you need to do some serious introspection about yourself because you might be in danger. But Paul is not talking about gospel things or salvation issues. He's talking about disputable things, cultural things, things that are up for discussion, uh, where there are areas of gray. It's not just black and white. So what does he say? Well, if you have Romans chapter 14 still open, have a look at verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6, Paul says this. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so for the Lord and gives thanks to God. Paul is saying here that each of us comes from different places, different levels of understanding, different cultures. And no matter where you've come from, he says that we ought to be a people who think deeply about who we are and why we do what we do. Paul's assuming that the people in this church are not going around in ignorance or denial about their attitudes or their actions. Uh, he is assuming that Joe Bob is very well aware that he bought his barbecue ribs from Apollo's finest cuts, and that he is well aware that the priests have offered this meat uh, to these false gods. He probably makes the assumption that Joe Bob knows all of these things and has come, come to some sort of reckoning in his mind that despite all of this, he is still able to purchase and eat this food without causing it causing him to sin or stumble in any way. Maybe Joe Bob believes that these other gods aren't even real. Maybe he believes that all food comes from God, no matter how it came to be in his hands. Maybe he believes that the power of Jesus has conquered everything, and because of that fact, everything has been set free from the stranglehold of sin. Whatever the reason... Joe Bob, as a follower of Jesus, should carefully and prayerfully think through why he does what he does, and when he does this, to make sure that he's doing it for the Lord. So if you take a modern example of this, it might look like Paul saying this, uh, that if you decide to spend money going on a holiday, think very carefully about why you decided to do that. Don't spend your money flippantly or frivolously or pointlessly, but come to some understanding that you're going on a holiday because of this reason. Maybe you need a Sabbath. Maybe you need a rest. Maybe whatever. I don't know what it is. But because of that reason that you've worked out in your head, that I'm going, I'm, this is why I'm doing this. And I'm doing this because Jesus is part of these plans and these decisions. I haven't done it thoughtlessly or prayerlessly or whatever. And the same thing can be true about how you vote. Uh, not just to vote because your parents voted this way, because you're in a community that everybody votes this way, or because this person's name on the ballot sounds really cool, um, or because someone else told you to vote that way. But we are, should be people who do our homework, who research, who pray, who think carefully through the options, and then we make our best biblically informed decision. And when it comes to church, 
as we gather together. If you think keeping your hands at your side and never clapping during the worship music, which is most of you, uh, or never closing your eyes uh, is doing the right thing to do when we're singing, that's okay. But think about why you're doing that decision. Is there a reason that you worship God this way instead of raising your hands or dancing around or having a flag or, or, or whatever it is? Like Paul's saying, just think through those, what those reasons are and, and invite God to be a part of that. Not only does Paul tell us that we ought to think through our attitudes and actions, but he goes on to say we ought to be mindful of how the things that we think might be good and true and right and of God might not be perceived the same way by others. He says this in the second half of verse 13 and following. Take a look. Verse, second half of verse 13. He says... Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. But if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died." It's pretty heavy. Think about it. So not only should you think through why you do what you do, but if you are aware that that thing might cause a brother or sister in Christ to stumble, to struggle in their faith, to lead them into sin, then maybe you ought not do that thing or talk about that thing while you're in their presence. An obvious example of this might be alcohol, uh, drinking alcohol. You might ing- uh, enjoy a good drink, and you might even do so really responsibly. You don't get drunk, um, you don't drive, you don't do all those things that are irresponsible, and you think, it's okay for me to drink, because I'm doing this the right way. Jesus himself drank wine, that's okay, it makes sense, it's fine, I'm doing it the right way. But then maybe you're hanging out with another Christian brother who has had an alcohol addiction, and the very fact that you're drinking even if you're doing it in the right way, might cause this guy to go somewhere that he's been trying to avoid. And Paul doesn't say that we ought to change our minds just because someone doesn't like something about us, but he does say to be mindful of the effect that our attitudes and our behaviors have on others. If both of those things are happening, that we are thinking and prayerfully considering what we say and do and believe, and Jesus has been a part of those things that we've reconciled in our mind, and we're trying to be mindful to not make others around us stumble, then Paul asks this question in verse 10. Have a look. He says, why then do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. If someone has carefully and prayerfully thought through their attitude or actions, you and I have no right to judge them, Paul says. It's not your job. You may think that that thing is the biggest deal in the world, that they voted this way or they posted this thing on Facebook or whatever, but have you considered that maybe it's you who's in the wrong? Earlier in chapter 14, at the beginning... 
Paul talks about someone who is, who is stronger. He's making this comparison. He says, someone who is stronger who can eat everything and someone who is weak who only eats vegetables. Now, he's not, only, he's not paying out you vegetarians or vegans in the house. That's not what this is about. Uh, in, in context, the people who are veggie eaters in this church were those Jewish Christians who adhered to these Jewish kosher food laws. Uh, they thought that this is not the way that food is supposed to be prepared, going to the marketplace and just eating whatever. Uh, this food has been given to idols. Therefore, we will only eat safe food, broccoli or whatever, I don't know, um, to make us safe. But you meat eaters, don't you all, all know that you are going to hell for what you're doing? Don't you know that that thing is wrong? It's, it's idolatrous and you, are you really even a Christian? And Paul calls those people who are pointing these that finger and making these accusations as the weak ones in this case. The weak ones are the ones who are pointing the finger at other believers and saying, I can't believe this person is doing such and such. And maybe, Paul says, if you find yourself looking down at others, pointing the finger, thinking in your head or out loud that you are better, maybe you are actually the weak one. Maybe my fake pedantic issues with Kieran actually reflect something small about myself. Instead of judging, Paul reminds this, the church of this. Have a look in verse 18. <coughs> he says, For the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating or drinking, trivial things, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. As a church community, we ought to be on about the job of building one another up and helping each other look more like Jesus, not tearing one another down or getting into silly squabbles about things that don't really even matter. That sort of condescension and judging uh, of one another is what happens in every other sphere of this world. So why would the church, which is supposed to be this light, this, this thing that's different, that's attractive, uh, this community of people who are called out to be different and set apart, why would we engage in that same behavior? Which then makes us ask the question, okay, so where do we go from here? What do we do with all of this information? And maybe you think... I don't know how this applies to me. It seems kind of, it's a different context, a different world. What does this have to do with me? Well, um, channeling my inner Kieran, uh, and uh, I remembered this line from 90, 90s gangsta rapper Ice-T, where he says, what's the point of this? He says that we ought to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Um, <laughs> check yourself before you wreck yourself. It's, Gospel truth right here, all right? This whole chapter is about examining your own behavior and how it relates to the church community. Uh, it leaves us asking some questions, some questions that I'm just, I'm going to ask and I want you to wrestle with. Um, there's just five questions um, and here's what I just want you to think about. Clear your mind for a second and think about these. I'll just read them off, give you a second to think about it, go to the next one. Question number one. Are you giving more than you are grumping? Are you giving more than you are grumping? It's probably not a word, but I think it fits. 
Number two, are you more joyful than judgmental? Are you more joyful than judgmental? Number three, are you serving more than you are squabbling? Number four, are you welcoming more than you are whinging? And number five, are you discipling more than you are dismissing? If the answer to any of those questions is no, maybe it's time for you to realize that it's not them who has the problem, it's you, it's me. I started this sermon by pointing a finger at someone who didn't really deserve it. Sorry, Kieran. (laughs) And I ought to think that we ought to end this discussion by pointing the finger at ourselves. So what I want to do is just in the quietness of our own heart to take a few minutes for you to pray and reflect on what you have just heard and what we've just studied. Is there someone in your church community or is it a general feeling that you have Um, that you have judged. Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a program, maybe it's a collection of people. Is there someone that you have shown contempt for? Is there someone that you look at and you think, well, uh, if I were that person, I certainly wouldn't act that way or do things that way. If so, what would it look like to pursue righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit for yourself and within this church community instead of focusing on petty things. As we go through these questions, again, just spend time praying and seriously asking yourself, is this true of me? And ask God to help you. And then after a few moments, the band's going to come up and we'll close by singing as a church family together. Are you giving more than you are grumping? Are you more joyful than judgmental? Are you serving more than you are squabbling? Are you welcoming more than you are whinging? Are you discipling more than you are dismissing? Spend a few minutes um, yeah, asking these questions of yourself as you talk to God, and then we'll stand and sing together.